fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America, the next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday, man. Pat yourself on the back. You made it to the end of the week. That's pretty exciting. I think it is, at least. Pat yourself. You scream, ice cream. We all scream for ice cream. That's what we do at the end of the week to celebrate another weekend upon us. Welcome into it. This is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Welcome aboard. We always appreciate it. You're a millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Tom Romeo will be joining us on the program today. He is the director of health care at the organization Stand Together. Yesterday, we talked about the healthcare industry and how it's changed and the care and the price tag of it. Today, we're going to kind of focus on that, but it's going to be more so on the trust. Do you trust governmental organizations that are involved in the healthcare industry? As we continue to see the centralization of healthcare, do you actually trust the CDC? Do you actually trust the FDA? Do you actually trust the World Health Organization? And how has that changed from COVID to now or prior to COVID to post-COVID? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Or is it getting worse just because you didn't know or follow or pay attention to them much beforehand? And now you're like, huh. So that's what those organizations do. That's what I'm paying my taxpayer money for. So we'll get to that with Tom coming up at the bottom of the hour in just a little bit. we got a lot to talk about, though. Uh, Obviously, there's something going on. I'm trying to think. There's something going on this weekend, and I don't remember. What is it again? Oh, that's right. The Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday. Anybody watching it, show of hands. Now, I will be the first to admit I have not seen a single football game this entire season. I have not watched a single football game in about... I don't know, four or five years, except for the Super Bowl. And yes, we plan on watching it again this weekend. Why? Well, because I'm in Kansas and the Kansas City Chiefs are going. So I kind of have to, you know, by default root for them, I guess. I mean, although I don't really have an interest in the game whatsoever. But I am curious on what else is going to be presented at the Super Bowl. Because obviously this is going to be a big one. I'm talking bigly, my friends. And I think we're going to make it bigly. Yeah, so I will watch it. For just for the spectator sport and the observation, according to studyfinds.org, they say that they have shattered records with those that are betting on the game and watching a game. In fact, they say 25% of the entire nation has money riding on this game in some way. That's an insane amount. Now, they say that that's earth shattering because it's never been done before. Obviously, it's never been done before because there were never as many states as there are right now that have actually legalized sports gambling in their state. So, of course, people are going to throw money on this. And being the biggest sporting event in like history that happens every single year and the most watched sporting event every single year, then, yeah, people are going to throw money onto this. I'm curious on how much money on who they're actually going for. And I'm curious on what the not just the odds of the game are, but the actual breakdown of what people are gambling on are they gambling on taylor swift actually making it to the game are they gambling on uh, how long it's going to take her from getting from tokyo to las vegas for the actual super bowl are they gambling on how many times that they're going to pan to taylor swift at the super bowl if she ends up appearing which I would think that she would do it, although she is going to be in Tokyo or someplace, I guess, performing the night prior. So it's going to be tough to get her there. So that might be a challenge. At the same time, I have to ask, I mean, 
it's a boyfriend-girlfriend situation, which apparently there's rumors that they're getting engaged. Not that I really care about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, but let's go there for just a second here, shall we? And that's what's going to intrigue me here because it is changing the entire dynamic of football that I'll get to in a minute. But let's just say that you're in a relationship this way. I I could be wrong, but I don't think Travis Kelsey showed up to the Grammy Awards just a week ago for Taylor Swift when she won another award there. So, I mean, as a... As an equal relationship thing here to support each other, is she going to show up in his biggest game of the year when he didn't show up for her biggest game of the year? Hmm, see? Now you got to start pondering. Got to start thinking. If I were a gambling man, I would put money on the Kansas City Chiefs, and here's why. I know nothing about the game. I know nothing about the teams. I have not followed the games whatsoever. I obviously come in Kansas, so I have a little bit more of a leaning towards Kansas City. And I really don't want to support a team that's come from San Francisco just because of how nuts California and San Francisco really are. So I'm leaning towards obviously the Kansas City Chiefs. But that's not why I would put money on the Kansas City Chiefs if I were to put money on the game. Because Taylor Swift is involved And because of the weirdness that goes on, I'm putting money based on the voodoo magic that she has put a spell on the Chiefs for throughout the season. Oh, yeah, we're going to go there. Weird news of the day. We're going to start the show off with this because it's a Friday. Why the hell not, right? According to People Magazine and People.com, there is a sequence of numbers. Her, Her lucky number apparently is number 13. Oddly enough, that's my lucky number as well. I was born on the 13th of October. Oh, kind of great, especially when it falls on Friday the 13th of October. Woo. According to People.com, there is some weirdness going on. So I think there is a voodoo spell that Taylor Swift has put on the Kansas City Chiefs for them to win this game. Here's why. The number 13, according to the article, the number 13 has a special significance to Taylor Swift, saying that, quote, she was born on the 13th. She turned 13 on Friday the 13th. Her first album went gold in 13 weeks. Uh, The number one song had a 13-second intro, and every time that she had won an award, she had been seated in the 13th seat or the 13th row or the 13th section of the row. Basically, whenever 13 comes in my life, it's a good thing, quote-unquote. Now, what does that have to do with the Super Bowl? I'll tell you. According to the Super Bowl, this year marks the 58th Super Bowl. 5 plus 8 is 13. The date of the Super Bowl is 211, which is 13. 11 plus 2. The Kansas City Chiefs play uh, after the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Ravens in Baltimore and the 49ers defeated the Detroit Lions. The Super Bowl came down to the Kansas City Chiefs in the San Francisco 49ers. And the sum of the numbers Chiefs rival teams is 4 plus 9, which is 13. The 49ers, 4 plus 9 equals 13. The seeds of the two football teams, while the 49ers secured the number one seed in the NFC in December of 2023, uh, meaning just a couple months ago, the Kansas City Chiefs finished number three in their seed. One and three, 13. The number of the Kansas City Chiefs games that Taylor Swift has attended is will mark 13 if she attends the Super Bowl. The flight travel from Tokyo to Las Vegas is exactly 13 hours for her to travel if she ends up making it. I'm telling you that if her lucky number is number 13, And she's already got this weird energy thing going on with her. I'm telling you, she has put voodoo magic spells on the Kansas City Chiefs, which is why they came back from a season, the little that I know, bear with me here, where they were like okay-ish to actually winning and coming back from a moderate, decently season. So I'm I'm telling you, the the, weird news uh, (laughs) of the day. That's all I got to say. 
is that I think that there's some weirdness going on. So I'd have to put my money on the Chiefs just for the fact, not because of the talent of the team, although I'm sure they're great players, fantastic. Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and everybody else, I'm sure they're great. I don't know. I don't pay attention. I don't care. But I'm putting my money solely on that just because of Taylor Swift being involved in this. Whether in a good or bad way, you can take that and run with it however you'd like to. On the level of the dynamic, this being the largest game that's ever going to be watched, the largest game that's ever going to be bet on because of so many states legalizing sports gambling, the question really remains on what the demographic of NFL fans are today, especially with the Chiefs being involved, and of course Taylor Swift. Do you remember back in the day, and I'm talking like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, remember back in the day, when at the day after the Super Bowl, every talk show, every TV show, every radio show, everybody in the media would be talking about recapping their favorite commercials of the Super Bowl. Remember the day when we had the frogs singing Budweiser? We had the Clydesdale for Budweiser. We had Bud Light that would do some risque kind of stuff. You had Doritos that were the comedy of the Super Bowl. You watched the Super Bowl specifically for the commercial ads. Now, we haven't seen anything like that in a few years. And i got to admit, I have been extremely disappointed in just about every single ad over the past five or six years uh, to the point where I haven't even wanted to turn on the Super Bowl, but I was doing it in the hopes that we would find something extremely entertaining in those ads when they've been kind of duds. But now you bring in the Taylor Swift aspect of it, and who are predominantly the Taylor Swift fans? The teen poppers, the tweenies, the early 20s, the teenagers, the girls especially. And if that's the demographic that's going to be the uh, the new, I guess, growing demographic for the NFL, not men, not the maleness, not the alpha male that's sitting there wanting to watch the actual football game and actually enjoy, but it's the tweenies hoping to get a glimpse of Taylor Swift during the actual game, is that going to affect the demo that they're reaching in their marketing schemes with the actual advertisements in the game? And the reason I say that is because Nickelodeon, are running ads about them carrying the Super Bowl. Nickelodeon, for crying out loud. And if Nickelodeon is promoting with this, what age group are we pandering to here? So that reinforces the idea that if we're going to be seeing new ads on the Super Bowl, then I'm uh, sure to say that we're not going to see anything of adult humor, of any type of like manliness adult content, We're not going to see anything a whole lot about the adult beverages. We're not going to see the thing about manly men or frogs singing about beer or whatever. We're not going to see that kind of stuff. We're not going to see adult humor with a Dorito. I'll never forget the Dorito commercial where, you know, the the woman's pregnant and they're in there getting the sonogram and the baby inside the belly is following the dad with the Dorito. He tosses the Dorito off on the side and boom, out comes the baby and everybody freaks out. That's funny stuff. But we're not going to see any of that. I think, my personal opinion, we'll see if it actually happens this weekend or not. My personal opinion is that the ads are going to be complete duds and they're going to be pandering to a younger crowd even beyond the millennial generation. But the kids that apparently have a lot of money because they demand the parents buy stuff for them that are looking for the Taylor Swift. The Taylor Swift that's brought in more more than $340 million to the Kansas City Chiefs in the last few months while she's been supporting and actually showing up at the games. The one that actually has the money, which is the younger generation, that, my friend, is going to be the new demographic for the NFL. And personally, just as a business guy, 
although obviously not a business guy to the standard of the NFL, that that's not the smartest publicity stunt because that's not a sustainable demographic. You want the guys that are watching football that's in gals, guys and gals that are watching football for the game, not for the celebrities of who are actually showing up to the games every single week. You would think that would make sense, but whatever. I guess the quick buck that they're making right now, which is why they're selling seats for $30,000 for an individual seat. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, that's my take on it. The Super Bowl coming up this weekend. Are you watching it? Do you really care? And I will be watching it for the sake of I'm curious to see where they're going with the NFL as a whole because that is a pop cultural event. And being one of the biggest viewed events in the entire year, something that we should probably pay attention to to see what messages they're trying to appeal to and what they're going to try and brainwash us with during the entire game. All right, uh, let's see. We got only got a minute left. All right, here's What's my tease. Trending today? <laughs> here's my tease for the upcoming segment when we come back since I spent too much time on the Super Bowl. The insanity of the uh, social media and the interweb blowing up with Tucker Carlson and his sit-down with Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. If you have not watched this on Twitter yet, highly recommend you do so on Tucker Carlson's page. But in the... Let's see, 22 hours it's been on here, 22 hours, so about a day now, it's already hit 150 million views on the X. That's like the population of Russia by itself. That's about half the population of the United States of 150 million views of a two-hour-long sit-down with Vladimir Putin, and it's very fascinating. I did sit down. I did watch the entire thing, and it's interesting to see his approach and his take on this issue, being Putin himself, uh, from the entire Ukrainian issue, relations with the United States, and so much more. I find it ironic as well that the media losing their minds over this interview, not just because he was able to get a two-hour sit-down with Vladimir Putin, but calling him now an apologist for Russia, a Russian agent, which they've called him before, but reinforcing that idea that Tucker Carlson was soft on Vladimir Putin with his sit-down when they weren't able to get the same interview. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. By the way, had a hit on Newsmax today. Newsmax 2 with Todd Starnes, the Todd Starnes Show. They pick up his third hour of his radio program and then have his TV program shortly after. And had a great hit with him. Kind of a roundtable conversation. If you missed it, we'll share that on the social media so that way you can see it. Always great to chat with him. Love Todd Starnes. Great friend. Great individual. And his show, congratulations, it continues to expand now that he's on like hundreds of radio stations and also with his program now on Newsmax. I will be filling in for Todd Starnes, not next week, but the following week. So more information coming up on that. Stay tuned in. You can find him at ToddStarnes.com. But a great time to have a hit on Newsmax. We'll share that out on social media if you didn't get the chance. But if you didn't watch it, the hell's wrong with you, man? Say what? I know. All right. Let's talk about this issue for just a moment here, shall we? We have Tucker Carlson out in uh, Russia interviewing Vladimir Putin for a two-hour Long interview. Fascinating stuff, by the way. Uh, sitting down watching him. We have Biden's special counsel. Which Did you see Biden, by the way? We'll get to that. I know we'll get back to uh, the, the other one in just a minute. But Joe Biden's so proud that he's not getting any criminal charges against him. And it was really the argument was he's too old and feeble and has a bad memory to have formal charges against him. It's really what it came down to. The, his legal uh, side literally saying that, well, 
you know, he he can't remember a lot of the details. And then when we question about that, he comes out and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. That's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's my memory. My memory is so bad, I actually let you speak. I actually forgot to, like, not let you speak, because how dare you? That's, that's what we're... That's what we're at right now. I have to ask you a question. If we're so bad that we have to have the argument that we don't remember the details, then how are you supposed to be president of the United States? I get it. Apparently, he couldn't even remember the years that he was president or vice president. He couldn't remember a lot of the specifics about who he talked to, who's, who was president at the time, Joe, when you were vice president. It's kind of like Mitch McConnell freezing up in the middle of a press conference twice, by the way, uh, just completely locks up. But if you have that argument on the table for a deposition, and he was so proud of it, I was up there for five hours. I did a dep- I was. I walked away from my presidency for five hours to do this deposition with these individuals, and I came back completely clear. If that's your argument that you're successful because you could actually do a job for five hours, we have a problem. And if you're president of the United States, then that should be a bigger problem because I don't know if you're supposed to. You know, I don't know if you're capable of doing anything more. Oh, he continued, though. Mr. No, President? My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. <laughs> oh, man. So now that we have a special counsel that says, yeah, he did some wrongdoings, but he can't remember it, so we're not going to actually criminally charge him, I, I'm wondering if we can use that excuse elsewhere as well. I, I was speeding down the road today. I hit 100 miles an hour and the cop pulled me over and I was like, I don't remember doing that. Totally don't remember. What day was that again? What? What's going on? If I did that, how long do you think I'd actually have a driver's license? I robbed a bank and they pulled and they arrested me. Found my house, arrested me. I don't know where I got all this money. I don't remember. I total, I woke up today and the cash was there in my basement. I have no clue where it came from. I don't remember these details. As Hillary Clinton once said, at what point does it really matter? At what point does this information really matter? I was vice president then, and just because I had illegal documents stashed right by my car in the garage or in the closet of my university that I never actually taught at or anything, at what point does it really matter? Democrats getting away with it all over again. Tom Romeo coming up on the program around the corner. We'll talk about the distrust, not just in government, but specifically the government agencies that are running your health care system. How's that one make you feel? I think there was a mass awakening there during the COVID pandemic. We'll do some of that when we come back right here for a Friday on The Voice of Reason. Stay This here. is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into it on the home stretch here for a Friday final day of the work week. Pat yourself on the back, man. You made it. That's exciting. 
Looking forward to another great weekend. We will have our other syndicated program on the weekend, also my local program here in the Wichita area, so we have a lot of things to discuss and talk about for our show, and you're not going to want to miss any of those. You can also find all the information, times of the show, and more on the website at HoosierReason.com. We have the Biden Special Counsel. We have Tucker Carlson in Russia with the mother country and President Vladimir Putin. We'll talk about some of that here in just a little bit. But I want to shift gears as we talk about the special counsel and we talk about the trust in government, government agencies. Right now, there's less and less trust in the court system. They're you know looking underneath every rock and pebble to find something against Donald Trump. But yet we're like, oh, Joe Biden's kind of old. We're not going to go after him, even though we know he kind of did some st- things wrong. And then he parades himself around with it, saying that, oh, look at that. They're not going to come after me. Totally cool. He holds a press conference. And instead of saying, oh, you know what, I'm glad it's over and I'm so sorry for what I did and we learned the lesson. No, no. Hey, what did you do? What did you learn from this? Well, that I shouldn't trust my staff because they're the ones that put the boxes where they were and they shouldn't have been there. And I don't remember any of the details, but my mind is sharp. And look at what else I did. It's wild, man. Do you really trust the system right now to talk about that? And more. What's trending today? I don't want to talk about that particularly, but just the trust in the institutions as a whole. There's a new survey out. That shows that near 30 37% of Americans view the Center for Disease Control and Prevention as a trusted source for general health information. I want to repeat that for you. 37% actually trusts the government. That means not that much. What, what, uh, what 63%? actually distrust 63 to compare to 37 that's a large number of how many people don't trust our governmental institutions when the whole point of them was to give us guidance and direct us in the right path (laughs) and we see how well that worked out during the COVID-19 pandemic to talk about some of that and more happy to have on he is the director of healthcare at the organization stand together which you can find online on their website at standtogethertrust.org excited to have on here tom romeo tom how are you my friend Hi, Andy. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping on the show here. It is wild to me that so many people, which I guess is a good thing because maybe we're we're finally becoming aware of what's going on, but so many I wasn't realizing that so many people actually didn't trust our governmental organizations here. Yeah, I, I mean, it, frankly, it's not something that is entirely shocking after the display that we saw during COVID-19. Yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised it is that high. Um, groups like CDC has always been a, a trusted part of the government because they're just, as you noted, an informational source. Here's your guidelines. Here's what's going on. Uh, but what we learned is, is how thin their reasoning and their rationale actually is behind those guidelines. Um, and, and, and we just, I think Americans deserve a better, uh, a better way to get information about what's going on in public health. Yeah, absolutely. It started off, I think, with the way they changed things, you know, when they, you know, they partner with the FDA and they come out with a different school about what the basics are and you have to have the base and you have to have some meat and a little bit of bread and fruits and vegetables and a little bit of sugar at the top of the pyramid kind of thing. And then they changed that and overhauled it. We just kind of looked at each other and said, why? But then I think you're right during COVID, when they said, well, you have to, you don't have to wear a mask, now you have to wear a mask, now you have to wear three masks, now you have to get a vaccine, now you have to get triple, double boosted, you know, quadrupled, whatever. I, we started to question on the reasoning, and they couldn't give us proper reasoning other than this is what we said, so therefore this is what has to happen. And a lot of people don't like that excuse or that argument for why they have to do something. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and, and again, I, I don't blame them. Uh, if somebody just tells you to do something and you say, because I said so, and because I have authority over you, that's not a good enough reason, particularly when it disrupts your life entirely, when your children are prevented from going to schools and when you're unable to stay in the hospital with a loved one or with an elderly parent. Um, they're, they're needs to, they need to show their work a little bit. Yeah, they do. Do you think this goes just from the CDC or do you think this goes to all the organizations right now? Like I said, the the FDA or even the World Health Organization going up another step. Does this kind of trickle down to all of these or is it particularly just the ones that were impacted over the fa- uh, the past th- few years? I, I think that it, that it does. I, I think that it, it, it impacts um, large centralized public health institutions. Because uh, as you noted about, about vaccination guidelines and things of that nature with, with FDA, then there's World Health Organization increasingly medicalizing things that are not fundamentally not medical conditions like loneliness. Um, and uh, I, I, think, I think that the, the distrust is, is definitely going to be extended to those entities. But where I think that there's a real opportunity for, for, for us is to really focus on our local institutions. You know, often there we, we don't trust these centralized sources, but we trust our neighbors. Sure. Um, and that is the kind of bright spot that we saw that happened during COVID that I think there's a real opportunity to reimagine public health that emphasizes community, uh, community-based solutions. Sure. How do they get their trust back? How do they win the people back over again? Is it just a leadership problem or is it just a stigma because of the alphabet soup agency that it is? I mean, Dr. Fauci left the NIH now. So, you know, if they put a new person in there, will they begin to trust the person again or the agency? Or is it just like, yeah, the whole deal agency has gone and we just don't like any of it? I think there's a degree of that where we just don't like anything the agency is saying now because of the uh, association with, again, school lockdowns, things that don't make any sense, particularly in hindsight. I think the more we look at it, the less it makes sense. Uh, so I think that these institutions have experienced some serious reputational damage. And to earn that trust back, I think it's going to be a long haul. I think they're certainly going to have to provide more transparency and clarity in their decision-making. And, and in the end, it's a humility problem. People fundamentally look at these institutions as uh, telling you what to do because they know better. Uh, and if they are continually to can it, can it stay being condescending with individuals about this? Then I think that that trust is just no way it's coming back. Yeah. Humility is the uh, humility and trust are the currency of public health, and they've squandered a lot of that. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Tom Romeo. He's the director of healthcare at the organization Stand Together. You can find him online at standtogethertrust.org. What does this mean, do you think, for the future of the healthcare industry? We've talked about many times before, we had a doctor on yesterday talking about the centralization of the healthcare industry, government essentially controlling the few organizations that run the big pharma, pharmaceutical industry or hospitals that are, uh, that are merging all over, all over the country and rural hospitals that are dying off because of the centralization of power, essentially. If we don't trust the agencies, then is this going to impact the ongoing push for government-run healthcare moving forward? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I would hope so. As somebody who is opposed to those kinds of calls, I would hope that people would connect the dots between government centralization in public health and government centralization in health care. Uh, most of the issues that we're seeing now are largely a result of pu- public policy and or federal spending and subsidies, where government subsidizing major hospitals, subsidizing major health care providers through the insurance programs, the, the national uh, insurance programs. 
And so from my perspective, I think we really need to be connecting these dots. We really need to be thinking, if we don't trust CDC to be uh, giving us guidelines, should we be trusting a uh, the, you know the Biden administration or CMS or these agencies, these alphabet suit agencies, to actually care for our loved ones and ourselves? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the answer is pretty clear there. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Then you talk about the partnership with the private sector. And now that we've learned so oh, so much about the healthcare industry during the COVID pandemic, we've learned about the ties with the CDC or the FDA or the NIH and the ties with the pharmaceutical industry to help get vaccines on the market and how they're the ones that actually have to approve it and how they can get kickbacks and all this money that's tied to it as well. We've learned, I think, more than what most people wanted to about the healthcare industry over the past few years, but it's enlightened us to know that tie. There needs to be almost like a separation between those as well and bring back an actual private sector and a public sector that very loosely oversees or regulates that private sector, but allow real competition and capitalism to come back that's actually focused on, I don't know, caring for the patient. Yeah. Yeah. Cr- cronyism is a major problem in the health in the healthcare industry. The, the cozy relationship between these large major cor- uh, corporations who, frankly, their interests are just to maintain the status quo. Their interests are not to, uh, to, to completely transform the system the way we would like to see it, where it's patient first, where it's a uh, doctor-patient relationship being reestablished and not having to go through an insurance company, not having to talk to some bureaucrat to get coverage to pay for part of a treatment that your doctor tells you that you need. Government getting involved and insurance getting involved is, is, is a fundamental problem in our health system. Yeah. And so to disaggregate this is, is a really key priority because the more we subsidize these companies, the more cronyism we allow, the higher costs are going to be and the lower the quality is going to be. There's going to be less innovation and there's going to be less competition to bring prices down. Are you seeing that movement right now, do you think, in the private sector? I mean, I, like I said, these numbers astonish me with the lack of trust in the organization, which makes me happy, but it's shocking because of so many people that complied during the pandemic that they always talk about us being the fringe ones that don't trust the government agency that's the, here to help, and why don't you just trust them? That's their purpose, and why? how dare you think of some conspiratorial reason on why they're actually not doing the best benefit for us? So do you see the awakening to start shifting that and moving the healthcare industry into a different direction, do you think? I, I do. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, promise with things like direct primary care, which are just essentially Netflix subscription type services for healthcare that's entirely outside of the insurance. Uh, paradigm. Um, We're also seeing some really interesting things happening with AI and emerging technologies that frankly just bring the cost of of care way down to the point of not even really needing insurance. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of really interesting movements, particularly on the, in the, in the startups, but we're also seeing like a movement towards direct to consumer cash payment type thing, type models like like Mark Cuban's uh, uh, drug a drug uh, company. We're seeing a lot of more of that direct to consumer stuff than we certainly we saw 10 years ago. And I think part of that is uh, uh, tailwinds from the COVID, from what we learned during COVID. Yeah, Tom, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I'll continue this conversation when we come back. Um, I've never heard of the technology and AI helping get rid of uh, insurance. Maybe you can help us enlighten us on that because that's fascinating to me. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. So great to have you with us. Last few minutes of the show as we wrap up for the end of the week today. Fascinating conversation. We're hanging out with Tom Romeo. He is the Director of Healthcare at the organization Stand Together. You can find him online, standtogethertrust.org, and find all the great information there. The latest polls, the latest survey shows that only 37% of Americans actually trust the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. (laughs) I think that's kind of funny. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I think that's hilarious that people don't trust the government at that level. That's insane. I knew it would be some, but I mean, uh, again, with how many people complied during COVID, I figured that it would be maybe like a 50-50 kind of thing. But man, 37% like it. It shows that we are the the worth of silent majority. And they try to make fun of us and try to belittle us by isolating us and calling us minuscule. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. As we talk about uh, some of the changes going on in the healthcare industry, there are. I've always said it that there is always a void in the private market that will be filled when prices get too high, when things get too crazy, that the American people, the innovators, the business-minded individuals, the creators, will find a way to get around government regulation, get around the centralization, and create a product that the vast majority of Americans can actually fulfill, which is what we do in a private sector. And then it's the ongoing battles. It's kind of like the cat and mouse chase. We create something good, government takes hold of it and ruins it, so we have to create something different that's affordable again. And we talked about direct primary care. We talked about that with the doctor yesterday. And here as well, a great option. People are going holistic and just walking away from the healthcare industry altogether. But uh, you mentioned something, Tom, about artificial intelligence being able to help offset the insurance stuff as well. What what does that entail? Because I've never heard of that aspect before. Well, I know that telemedicine's big now. Uh, that's helping make things more convenient. But AI, what's that have to do with this? Yeah, AI and machine learning. I mean, there are new things coming out every day in that space. Uh, probably one of the more exciting things that we're seeing is the possibility for AI to completely streamline the diagnostic process within the medical system. So instead of going in and to getting your blood taken and having a full analysis and it taking often, you know, uh, up to four days, sometimes two weeks to get exactly what you, the information you need. What machine learning can do is offset that time and take data that has been used uh, to in, in these diagnostic processes and streamline it to have it to give you really immediate term uh, diagnostics. Now that is a significant portion of the spending in hospitals is the diagnostics, the radiology, the looking at the scans, those kinds of things. And so we're seeing AI as a real possibility in streamlining that process. Another is there are these AI tools that are being de- 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 developed that aid physician engagement. So instead of physicians um, having to go on the computer and be focused on the computer and your EMR, physicians can engage with uh, the person while AI is collecting the data of the meeting that can then uh, make better decisions for physicians uh, and offset some of the administrative burden that is placed on them. Um, so, yeah, th- th- there's a lot of moving moving parts with artificial intelligence. And as I'm sure you know, the Biden administration put out an executive order on our artificial intelligence uh, that I think 
mutes the ability for artificial intelligence to actually be the transformative force that we would like it to see, we, we would like it to be. But uh, yeah, that's the that's the, the understanding right now with AI. Yeah, that's super fascinating. I've not heard of that aspect of it. It makes sense, and it would be beneficial. My big concern, and those I think that are distrustful of government agencies, I would think would be just as distrustful about something like this as well, about as the Biden administration or any government agency is looking to control and regulate AI then what type of inputs are they going to put in there and are they going to be in our best interest? So I'm sure there's going to be some skepticism from that front, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the key is empowering people and individuals with that information to be able to make the choice to what is best for them. So yeah. instead of say, government saying AI is good or AI is bad, it's individuals saying, hey, I think this tool is right for me. And I'm empowered with my own dollars to to pay for this service because I think it's right for me and my family. What a concept. You can make your own choices. See, I miss the days. Tom. We could just go to our family physician. He just lived around the corner. He had his little clinic or she had the little clinic. You go in there, you do your checkup, you get everything done, and you didn't have to worry about waiting in line for a massive hospital. You didn't have to pay $200 for a deductible to get in and actually get things taken care of. I miss those days and that personalized care that actually looks to figure out what that problem really is. Oh, the good old days. It's Tom Romeo. You can find him online at standtogethertrust.org, standtogethertrust.org. Tom, I appreciate all the great information. I love it. Fascinating stuff. Let's get you back on the show again real soon. All right. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it very much. Good stuff indeed. All right, there it is. Back at it again on Monday for The Voice Reason. If you are watching the big game this weekend... Then enjoy it. Clog those arteries a little bit with some fatty, awesome foods. I'll be doing the same as well. We'll recap how bad the commercials may or may not be this weekend as well afterwards and the over-under on how many times they watch Taylor Swift. Until then, we'll have our syndicated show on the weekend as well. But everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.